So I hope every uh, all the ladies had a had a good time on Friday night. The uh, <laughs> elders and deacons have decided we're going to have a uh, business meeting uh, Saturday morning following the cookie exchange for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so uh, we we appreciated all of your hard work. I can I can assure you. So uh, there is a lot. A lot going on, isn't there? And um, I appreciate you being here, whether you're in person or joining us online today. Over the years, I've heard a lot of prayers. <laughs> Maybe you have too, right? Uh, prayers in church, prayers in Bible classes, prayers in your home. Uh, prayers maybe just within your own heart that never make it to your lips. Prayers of, of friends and family members when you, perhaps when you get together. One of the most common requests that I hear prayed is for God to be with someone who's sick. We'll say, Brother Smith is sick, Father, will you be with him? Or if someone's traveling, Lord, will you be with them? Or they're struggling somehow, will be with them in their difficulties. And, and there's part of me that gets frustrated when I hear that, even though, even when I hear it from my own lips, <laughs> because God is always everywhere, right? <laughs> So, when is he not with a person? Um, so, we even have a, a song that we, we sing from time to time. Be with me, Lord, right? <laughs> and uh, so, what are we really asking? What are we really asking when we offer this type of prayer? Be with me. Be with someone else. You see, when we... I, I suspect there's not just one answer to that. Okay? Be, we, we say to God, be with. And it could mean a whole host of, of different things. Um, when we feel alone, isolated, deserted, we might seek reassurance that God is with us. Be with me, Lord. When we're going through hardship, we want to rely on God's strength, not our own strengths. Be with me, Lord. When we have doubts, when we have questions, when we're not sure of what's happening to us and around us, Awareness of God's presence in our lives can reassure us. Be with me, Lord. When we face a health crisis, when perhaps it's a, a surgery where, where we're going to be unconscious, right? while things are done to our bodies, when we're out of control or have no control, be with me, Lord. And sometimes we're asking 
that we to feel God's presence, not to just have a theoretical knowledge of it, right? God created us with feelings, created us with emotions and as well as intellect. And so we don't want to just have this, you know, written down somewhere that God is with us. We're like, God, can I can I feel you? Can I can I have assurance? Can I know? Can I experience your presence? Be with me, Lord. At times when people ask us to pray for them. And I know I find myself in this situation sometimes, and, and their situation just seems overwhelming. It's like there is so much going on in their lives. It's, it's like whack-a-mole by prayer, you know? And, and it's like, I really don't know what to pray for. Because usually we say, I want to pray for a solution because I can see a solution. God, will you do this? This person is sick. Will you heal them? But sometimes there are people and sometimes it's us and and life just is out of control and we just don't even know what to pray for. And so we ask, be with them, Lord. Be with them. And when our words feel empty in the face of another's great hurt, we have a I just, uh, we're, we're spending some money on advertising at the moment as a, as a church, internet advertising through Google and, and Facebook, and put a post out there just on Facebook offering to, to pray for people, and, and we've had a few responses just this week, but one of them was a, uh, a man, no connection to the church. He says, I just lost my wife of 50 years, and I don't know if I'm going to make it. What do you say to that in a Facebook message? Right? You've got like this much space and he's got 50 years of his life missing. Be with them, Lord, because I don't have the words or the answers. And when we don't know what to ask for, be with me, Lord. Genesis chapter 4 tells the story of Cain killing his brother Abel. The first man and woman have just been exiled from the Garden of Eden. And they have children, they grow up. Um, Cain has his job, Abel has his job, and they come and they make a sacrifice to God. Each of them. And there was something about Cain's that, that God was, was not happy with. And so Cain, rather than taking responsibility himself, <laughs> says, well, if I'm the only one here, God will have to be happy with me. And he kills his brother Abel. And so God comes and talks to Cain and he he gives him uh, an opportunity to explain himself and for Cain to explain himself. But then God says, here's what's going to happen. He says, you're going to, you've got to leave this community. You've taken a life. You've got to leave this community. And, And you'll go outside and you'll wander 
in the wilderness. See, Cain has family, he has wives, he has children. Uh, he's not on his own in that sense, but, but he is to not settle down to be a, a nomad. And Cain has this response to God. He says, my punishment is more than I can bear. And in part, the reason for that is because I will be hidden from your presence. From the very beginning, the thing that Cain feared, this sort of this tough guy, right? Who killed his brother to get what he wanted. And yet the thing that terrifies him in the night, he says, I can't live with that, is to not be, to be excluded from the presence of God. In a similar fashion, Moses, in his many conversations with God at, at Mount Sinai, at one point, he says to, says to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Okay? If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. God, we don't want to leave Sinai. We don't want to leave the wilderness. We don't want to leave the desert. We don't want to go anywhere if you're not going there with us. Be with us, Lord. I think of, as we keep sort of moving through different points of of history, we come to the prophet Elijah and uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. And, and uh, Elijah has just won a, a great victory for, uh, for God against the, the prophets of Baal, against the idol-worshipping king of, of Israel. And yet... In the aftermath of that, he experiences a letdown. He's like, that was the top of the mountain. <laughs> What's next? What's next? And um, the king is still the king. The queen is still the queen. I'm still in danger of my life. This isn't the way I thought victory would look like. And so... He says, uh, he goes into the wilderness in verse 4 of, of 1 Kings 19. Uh, he, goes, uh, he comes to a bush and he sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And then an angel comes in verse 7. It's already, the angel's already brought him food and water and says, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. <laughs> Get up and eat, because the journey is too much for you. Right? That there was an awareness that, that what he was being asked to do, or he wasn't ready to undertake the next step of his ministry, the next um, event that God had planned for him in his life. The angel says, Look, take your time. All right? Eat, drink, rest. The journey, at this moment, the journey is too much for you. And he lay down again. 
But then, how does Elijah regain his focus? How does he regain his perspective? From this place of lying under a bush in the wilderness and wanting to just to die, take my life, God, without hope. What happens next? And so, in verse 11, chapter 19, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain, Elijah, in the presence, in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and went out and stood at the mouth of, his, of the cave. And a voice said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And then in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and uh, go and see this other king. And he gives him something to do. What was it that changed from the bush to the mountain? Where you're not ready for this journey to I've got work for you to do, Elijah. The difference, it was food, water, and rest, okay? We're all down with that. (laughs) But it was also the presence of the Lord. Experience the presence of the Lord and in, in so doing be taken from despair. To purpose. Be with me, Lord. A lot of the statements about God's presence in the uh, in the Scripture can communicate the idea that God is on our side. Okay, God is with us. God's on our side. He's cheering for us. Um, he's he's going to help us. So so it's not so much about his standing right next to us, but it's more just saying God is with us, right? God's encouraging us, just as a a crowd in a football field, right? Uh, You've got the players on the field, you've got the crowd with you, right? They're, They're with us, they're on our side, they're cheering for us. But then there are also the people actually on the field, and they're with each other, in a different way, aren't they? They're all contributing. They're all participating in uh, the actual game, in the activity that's taken. And so there are times that we can talk about God being with us, just saying, yeah, I'm doing what God wants me to do. God's supporting me. God's encouraging me. God is, is with me in that sense. But there are times where God is with us in a much more... Uh, a much closer manner. And so when we read Matthew 1, which we, we did just a little earlier, and we see that the name or the title, however we want to think of it, of Jesus is given there is Emmanuel. God with us. 
It could, could simply be a sign to the people of Israel that God hasn't forgotten them. Okay? Right? Here's this nation under Roman oppression, and, and God appears to someone and he says, Okay, you're going to have a child. And, and he says, I want you to call the child Emmanuel. It's a reminder that God is with us. Okay? He hasn't forgotten us, He's on our side. He's there to help us. But Jesus being Emmanuel means so much more than that. It means that Jesus is actually God in the flesh. God is not just with humanity as an idea. Okay? It wasn't just, yes, God be with you. Right? What's that? Uh, there's another song we sing. God be with you till we meet again. Okay? Just, just God be, be with you in sort of a generic sort of sense. But here in, in Matthew 1, as this angel has spoken to Joseph, and then as, the, as Matthew, the author of the book, as the, reflects on it, he says, this fulfills a prophecy. That there would be a child named Emmanuel, God with us. God is not just an idea. God has become human. God is with humanity as a physical presence. God put on flesh and lived as a human. He came to, to know us in a new way. He made the first and the greatest move toward bridging the gap that had been created by sin. Because Jesus is not metaphorically, intellectually, or any other sense, God with us. Jesus is literally, in reality, physically, God with us. God among us. But we all know that Jesus died. And although he rose again, he doesn't live on the planet any longer, does he? Okay. Knowing how important his presence was, Jesus reassured his disciples that they wouldn't be left alone. In John chapter 16, uh, Jesus tells his disciples that he's leaving. And he's, he's going to leave them to return to his father. Now imagine you've had the presence, the physical presence of God with you for three years, for 30 years, however long they may have been, have known Jesus. And now God in the flesh says, I'm leaving. Wouldn't that feel empty? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that feel like, what do I do next? Like God was right here with me. 
And now he's not. How do I go on? For some of these, these guys uh, or, and women, some of these disciples, for the last few years, this was all they'd known, the physical presence of God in their midst. And they got used to that. And now Jesus says that he's leaving them. However, he also promises them, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Let's see, I think I have it. No, sorry. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so this is, you can imagine when we talk about gospel, when we talk about good news, the, the, if they were able to grasp what he's saying, the good news, the relief that this must have brought. That yes, the, the person, Jesus, who's been with them for, for these years that they've got to know and become comfortable with is leaving. But he says, that's for your good. Because with me leaving, someone else is going to come. Right? There'll be a new presence. Still the presence of God. But a new presence. A spiritual presence as the Holy Spirit is going to be sent to you. And he says, it's a good thing. And, and think about it. Why is it a good thing? It's a good thing because how many places in the world could Jesus be at once? Right? Jesus could be in one place. How many places can the Holy Spirit be at once? He can be with each of us. Right? We don't have to make a pilgrimage to touch the hem of his garment for you know, two seconds and that was it. That was our brush with Jesus. We have the Spirit with us. After his resurrection, as Jesus prepares then to ascend to the throne of heaven, at the very end of the Gospel of, of Matthew, it begins with God with us. In, in chapter 1 of Matthew, in chapter 28 of Matthew, Jesus promises his disciples that as they go and as they tell others about him, surely, he says, surely, you can be sure, you can be confident, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The very end of the age. And so we, we see the importance of of presence, of God's presence in his, his people, with his people, in his people. I want to take a moment and go back to these slides I missed earlier here. Not that one. This is uh, Psalm uh, 139. And, and here the psalmist um, praises God for the... Um, his presence. Right? 
And, and, and look how, how grateful he is, how much he, he celebrates, what a good thing it is. Because, you know, we can take the presence of God both ways, can't we? <laughs> there are times where I don't want God present. Right? You know what I'm saying? That there are times where I've been doing stuff, where I've said something, and, and I would much prefer that God didn't know about that and didn't hear me say that. Right? Yeah, God, coffee break time, okay? I've got some business to take care of over here. And yet, and so when, when the psalmist here asks, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? It's not because he wants to get away. It's because he's saying, God, I don't want to ever get away. Is there any place that I could get away from you? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, that would be of the sea, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. What does the presence of God do? He, he guides us, He protects us, He holds us fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Remember, the psalmist is writing in an era before electricity. Right? When he talks of darkness, he knows a darkness that many of us don't experience. I mean, yes, there were more stars in the sky. The stars were a little brighter than, than we experienced. Uh, but he didn't have all the background light that we get from living close in or close to a city. He knew what darkness was. And he says, surely that darkness where I can't see my hand in front of my face, God, but you can always see me. I can't be lost. And so he, he finds this tremendous comfort in the presence of God. The Apostle Paul. I, I said that at the end of Matthew. Um, Jesus said I'll be with you. I didn't do that. Um, Jesus said that I'll be with you. He says even till the end of the age. And so the Apostle Paul then. Uh, in Acts chapter 18, has, has been going through hardship, has been encountering opposition, and he comes to Corinth. Paul has just been to Athens. He's had this sort of, he's met the intellectual elite, he's met some of the leading scholars, and he's talked with them and described Jesus to them. And, and while some of them responded, many of them just said, you're crazy, Paul. And think how that would feel. You get, you know, you, you go, if you're a lawyer and you go to the Supreme Court, you know, and you're trying a case and you think, oh, I've got a great chance to win. I'm going to persuade them. And then they all look at you and go, what were you thinking? It's kind of what it's like that he's gone to the, the, the ultimate school of philosophers and he, he preaches that Jesus is the resurrection, that he came back to life. And they're like, that doesn't happen, Paul. What are you thinking? Some of them responded, but, but it was a kick in the teeth, I think. And Paul goes to Corinth. He's not sure where to go next. 
He starts working with Priscilla and Aquila making tents. He goes from, from speaking to the scholars and the academics in Athens to making tents down the road in Corinth. He goes to every Sabbath, we're told. He reasoned in the synagogue there in Corinth, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy come, Paul now devotes himself exclusively to preaching. He's like building himself up. He's got his friends there. He's got his support, his encouragement there. And, um, and so he's still there in Corinth and, and doing uh, his preaching. We, we see at the end of verse 9, Crisp, or in verse 8, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. And so we, we see him starting to, to build some momentum. I mean, yes, this is still the synagogue in Corinth. is hardly you know, the Areopagus in, in Athens. But he's building some momentum. And then one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision in verse 9. And God doesn't speak directly to Paul very often. But on this occasion, he, he seeks him out and he says to him, he says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Little like Elijah. That was one of the things that God told Elijah. He said, I've got a lot of people in this land who are still faithful to me. You're not the only one. There's a lot of people in this city, Paul, who will protect you, who, who you know, can care for you. But in both instances, it was the presence of God himself that was the encouragement to them. So in the midst of the Holy Spirit, in the midst of God being with Paul on one end of the book, one end of the bookshelf, on the other end of the bookshelf, we have God, you know, Cain wanting his presence, Moses wanting his presence, Elijah being blessed by his presence, the psalmist praising God for his presence. We can say that because God was with us in a manger, because God was Emmanuel, we can have confidence that he's with us in our lives today. Because God was with us in a manger, we can have assurance that he's with us in our troubles. Because God was with us in a man, we can know that he's with us in our doubts, in our questions, in our insecurities, he's experienced what we've experienced. Because God was with us on the cross, we can trust that he's with us in our suffering and our sadness. Because God was with us in an empty tomb, we can hope that we'll be with him in eternity. Because Jesus promised his spirit to be with us. We can experience his presence and his guidance daily. So when we sing Emmanuel, as we did in our first song this morning, God with us.
It's a reassurance. Not that God was with us, but that God is with us. And that one day, just as He was physically with humanity, we will be physically with Him in proximity to Him for eternity. God with us. That's what God has sought from the very beginning. What was it that Adam and Eve could have said about their relationship with God? God is with us. He walks with us in the garden. And God has continued to promise that at various points, that He is with His people. He gives us the strength that we need. He gives us the encouragement. He gives us hope. So many things that He gives us. And you might make your own list. You might make a list that says, because God is with me. Fill in the blank of your own. What does that mean? For Paul, it meant that he would get up and he would continue traveling and continue preaching. For Joseph and Mary, it meant, yes, we can have this child. Yes, we can raise this child. God is with us. For the disciples, it meant that that when Jesus leaves, that the Spirit will come, that God is with us. And they, they didn't give up. They they continued to represent Jesus to the world and we're here as witnesses of what a difference it can make when God is with us. Because it's not just saying, yes, I want God with me because my life will change. What we see through our scripture is that when God is with us, our communities can change, our cities can change, the world can change because God is with us, because the world has changed, because God came to be with us. In a manger. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. God with us.